hearts. I, I hope redemption will just stir our hearts today. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter number 6. 2 Kings 6, again, good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see you with us today. And uh, trust something in the message today will be a help to you. Thankful for all that's been done here in the service already this morning. If you're able, let's stand together. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse number 7 and bring to you the thought today the Lord would have for us to bring. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 1, the Bible said, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, to go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. And as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we just again want to thank you so much for being in your house this morning. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, we realize that being here today is a wonderful thing, but without your presence, Lord, uh, it would just be in vain. And I'm glad that you loved us enough to redeem us and save us and change our life, and then you live in our heart, and you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we just want to praise you this morning for your presence in our midst, and we ask you to have your way today. Touch the hearts of your people that are here. And Lord, we especially pray for one that may be among us today that's not saved. And today would be the day they would see their lost condition and cry out to you as their Savior and be born again. Lord, we know that that is your will and that's your desire. And we pray today that that would happen. And Father, what, what has happened here today, we'll thank you and we'll praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. I want to look at a text this morning. We often call this a familiar text, and I've tried to get out of the habit of doing that because uh, nothing in the Bible really should be so familiar to us that we, that we can't learn something from it every time we read it. And that's the amazing thing about the Scripture. You can study a passage of Scripture days on end and then go back to it, and you'll find something different every time. Uh, because it is the Word of God. It's different than just a book. It's, it's inspired by the very, that's what the word inspiration means, the very breath. It's God breathed. So as we read the scripture, often we'll say that. We'll say, well, this is a familiar scripture. And here in 2 Kings chapter 6, this is a pretty familiar passage that many of us as preachers have preached on. And you've heard a lot of preaching on it. Usually we'll take this text and and deal with the edge of the Christian life or the power in the Christian life. There's some great example and, and practical truth here about that in the text. But I want to look at it with a little different spin this morning as the Lord began to work in my heart over this. We find that the story here is about the prophet Elisha recovering the lost axe head. And of course, Elisha came after Elijah. Elijah uh, brought many great miracles. Elisha prayed for that double portion. He was there with Elijah as he was caught up in the chariot and taken out and he saw him. So therefore God granted him that double portion that he prayed for. If you study that in the life of Elisha, you'll find that he did really double the miracles that Elijah did. So a great man of God here, a great work under the ministry of Elisha. 
Now here's one of those miracles that we're looking at this morning in the recovery of the lost axe head. But I want to look at that lost axe head this morning as a type of a sinner. And my thought here simply this morning is rescuing the lost. Rescuing the lost. I see some things in our text today that remind us of what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he went to Calvary and how that not only he hung on the cross and died and was placed in a borrowed tomb and rose up on the third day, ascended back to the Father, but he's still working today through the work of salvation. He's still drawing and wooing lost sinners through the work of the Holy Ghost to bring them unto himself, to redeem them and place him in the family of God. I think we see a great, great picture of that in our text this morning. So I want to give you some things here about rescuing the lost. If you'll notice in verse number 1, let's look at the reasoning now of these sons of the prophets. We find here in our story and throughout these passages here in 2 Kings a reference to some men by the name of the sons of the prophets. And what they are, basically they are servants or students of the prophet Elisha. And they're here under his ministry. He's teaching them and mentoring them and guiding them. You can go back a couple chapters and you'll see as he deals with them from time to time through these passages. But here in verse number 1, we want to look at their reasoning just a moment today. And I want to look at these sons of the prophets really as a picture of man, mankind that is not saved, sinners that have not been redeemed. Even though I realize in our text they were following Elisha and Elisha was teaching them. We see in this particular passage here an example of how they're conducting themselves, of how sinners will act in, in their life before they get saved. You notice their dwelling. The Bible tells us here, The sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. So when we look at their dwelling this morning, we find that they're dwelling with Elisha and the best I can tell from studying previous passages, they're in the place of Gilgal. Now, if you paid attention much on Wednesday nights as we've been preaching through the book of Joshua and looking at the crossing of the Jordan River, you'll remember what Gilgal was famous for. It's the place where when Joshua and the children of Israel came out on that west side of Jordan, on the Canaan side, on the victory side, that is there where they established the Memorial of Stones. And we studied that in depth on Wednesday nights as we looked at that. So it's a very special place. It's a holy place. It's a place where God has met with his people many, many times before. So here are the sons of the prophets. They're dwelling with Elisha. And again, Elisha, he is a representative of God in their life. Matter of fact, the very name Elisha means God is my salvation. So it's a very fitting name as we look at him in the picture as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, a type of God. And we find here that they are wanting to make a move. They have a desire. They're dwelling with Elisha. They're dwelling with God. They're dwelling in this place here in Gilgal. But for a reason, according to verse number 1, they're wanting to make the move. We find not only their dwelling here, but we find their desire. They step up now and they say, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Now in our text, I simply think that they're saying here <clears throat> that it's getting too tight for them. It's getting too crowded for them. And they're wanting to go make a new place to dwell in. But as we look at this thought this morning and look at them leaving Elisha a type of God, it reminds me of the desire of someone that's not saved. Someone that's not saved does not want to be around God. 
They don't want to be around the things of God. They don't want to be around the people of God or the house of God or even the word of God. When a person's not saved, they will keep their distance usually from the things of God because it convicts them and reminds them of their lost condition. Now, I don't know all the reasons why that these sons of the prophets are leaving here and wanting to build themselves a different house, but I don't think it's ever wise to go away from somebody when God is evident in their life. You find in the story of Abraham and Lot how that Lot decided because he looked on the well-watered plains of Jordan that it would be a good place to prosper his financial endeavors and his business and his cattle raising. He decided he was going to leave Abraham, which was a representative of God in his life, go down to the well-watered plains of Jordan. And if you know your Bible, you know how that turned out. It didn't turn out well for Lot. So here these sons of the prophets are desiring to leave the place where they're staying with the man of God, a type of God in our text. And their desire is to go down and build themselves a place to live. Now, best I can tell, Gilgal is about six miles from the Jordan River where they're going to go. So we see their reasoning. And of course, that again is the reasoning of sinners this morning. You say, why don't people come to church? Uh, well, a lot of times people don't come to church because they're not saved. Why don't they read the Bible? Many times it's because they're not saved. Why don't they want the things of God like you and I would want the things of God? Well, quite often, most of the time, it's because they've never been born again. They've never been redeemed. They have no new nature. They have no desire for the things of God. It's just like a newborn baby. When that newborn baby is born into this world, you mothers know this better than anybody else, you don't have to remind them when it's time to eat. There's something innate in that child when it's born into this world. It doesn't matter if it's 12 o'clock noon or if it's 3 a.m. in the morning. When it's time to eat, they're going to let you, everybody in the house, and probably some of the neighborhood know that it's time to eat. That God has put that in a newborn child when it's time to eat to cry out for the milk that it needs. And so has God put in the life of everybody that's been born again a desire to fellowship with the people of God, to have a diet of the Word of God, to spend a little time in prayer with God and fellowship with God. So that desire is in the heart of people that are saved, but if people are not saved, they don't have that desire. They may be religious, they may go through some motions, but the genuine desire to be around God and the things of God are not there. So here you find the reasoning of these sons of the prophets. They want to get away and go to their own place and do their own thing. But then I want you to notice their route this morning. I think it's interesting as we look at the route that they took to leave Gilgal, again, the place of God's blessing, the place of the rolled away burden. We studied that in uh, Joshua chapter 6 and 5, how that Gilgal meant the place of the rolling away. When the nation of Israel got to Gilgal and had marched through the waters of Jordan on dry land, it was a place, a time of transition for them. God had rolled away the reproach of Egypt. He had rolled away their days of disobedience. And that's what Gilgal was known for. And it was a place where anybody that loved God would have wanted to dwell. And anybody that enjoyed the things of God would have wanted to dwell. But now they're making a route, these sons of the prophets, to, to get away from that and go down to Jordan. I want you to notice some things about their route. First of all, in verse 2, we see their direction. They said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Notice Elisha is not leading them here. Again, he's the representative of God in their life. And, and it would do us well to let God lead us instead of us leading ourselves. 
Quite often that's what people do in, in life because they're not saved. They don't want God to lead them. They don't want God to direct their paths because they're very happy in leading their, their own selves and conducting their own life. And the Bible tells us uh, the, that there, are, there is a way that seemeth right unto the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So here's their direction. We, again, they're about six miles from Gilgal to the Jordan River, but it is a downward, it is a descent going to the Jordan River. As they're traveling, they're traveling down. And I want to remind you tonight, if you ever take a notion to get away from God, or this morning, if you ever take a notion to get away from God, I want to remind you, you're always going downward. It's never a good thing. I'm reminded of the man that left Jerusalem and went down to Jericho in the Gospels. And he goes down in a downward way. He leaves the city of God to go down to the heathen city of Jericho. And as he goes down, the Bible said he fell among thieves. That good Samaritan, it's already been mentioned today about him. He went down and went downward. And here these sons of the prophets are going downward away from God. If you happen to be here today and you're not saved, I'm telling you, you don't want to go away from God. He's your only hope. He's your only possibility of getting saved and having eternal life and spending forever in heaven with Him. So their direction is a downward direction. They're going away from Gilgal. They said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan and take thence every man a beam and let us make us a place there that we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. What I find here is they wanted to go make themselves their own place. This is a picture of of a life that's lived outside of the design that God has for them. Elisha did not direct them to go. He's going to allow them to go, but he didn't direct them to go. It's not necessarily God's will for them to go to this place, but they're going anyway. They purpose in their heart, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go down and build ourselves a place to dwell in. We're going to leave the, the, the place of the rolled away burden, the place of Gilgal, and we're going to go establish ourselves our own place. And that reminds me this morning of sinners and what sinners do. They want to get away from the truths of God's word and live their own life. They call it freedom, but the Bible calls it bondage. There are people today that say, well, I, I don't want to get saved. I don't want to be around the things of God. I want my freedom. Well, you don't have your freedom. You, you're, you're under the bondage of your flesh and of the devil. And, and listen, everybody in this world is going to serve somebody. If I'm going to serve somebody, I'd much rather serve God that loves me and died for me and cares for me than I would myself or the world or the devil. So here you find them, their direction is to go down and to build their own place. And again, it's a picture of a self-willed life outside of being directed by God and the Spirit of God. But then you find their departure in verse 3. The Bible said, in one said, just one of them, not all of them, one of them had a little bit of sense. The rest of them were getting ready to just pack up and go. They, they looked at Elisha and said, Elisha, this place is too narrow for us. It's too tight here. Boy, there's a lot of people do that in our days. They'll leave a church and say, it's too tight for me here. It's too narrow for me. It's too strict for me. And, and many times when people do that, I have to ask myself the question, are they really saved? Do they really want the things of God? I realize not everybody that leaves a good church is, is a lost person, but I don't understand somebody that would want to leave a place where God is magnified and God is honored and the book is honored and the presence of God is there to leave and go to a place where, where God is mocked and the things of God are not held true. I don't understand that, but that's what they're doing. And again, they're a picture of a sinner to me here as we look at this thought. 
And as they depart in verse number 3, one of them obviously has a little bit of sense and comes to Elisha and said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. Now again, I don't believe Elisha's leading them down there. I think in this text, again, he's a good picture of the Lord. The Lord loves sinners. The Lord wants sinners to be saved. I think he proved that over 2,000 years ago when he hung on the cross at Calvary. I mean, everything he's done is to make it very easy and accommodable for sinners to get saved. And Jesus did all the work on Calvary and and the gospel has went out for over 2,000 years that whosoever will could come and be born again. So, So God has made salvation available to the entire world. For God so loved the world, the Bible tells us that. So here as they're leaving, Elisha is going to go with them. He's not leading them. I don't think he's necessarily putting a stamp of approval on what they're doing, but he's going to go with them. wonder why he's going with them. Because he loves them. And even though sinners rebel against God every day, that doesn't change the fact that God loves them. Even though sinners are out here, there's multitudes of sinners today that got up this morning. They do not acknowledge today is the Lord's day because they're not the Lord's child. They don't acknowledge going to the house of God because they're not saved. They don't understand that. That's what sinners do. Some of us were that way before we got saved. We didn't care anything about the Lord's day. Sunday was just another day of rest or a day of fun or something to do. But then God came into your life and saved you. And and now it's a special day of, of worshiping the Lord. And setting aside to honor God But there are many sinners today They're just out there in the world this morning Right now today Doing what comes natural to them I believe that's what these men were doing They were deciding to go They were going to depart And one of them cries out for Elisha to go with them And and, and even though the majority of them Didn't want Elisha to be with them uh, I'm glad Elisha wanted to be with them It's going to be very important in a couple verses here (coughs) That the presence of God is in their midst And that reminds me of sinners this morning. Even though they're out there doing their own thing, there's a God in heaven that loves them. And he's got his eyes on them. And he cares about them. There's no doubt today in this world, all over this world, however many billion people that are in the world right now, there's no doubt as sinners are out there today just living their life without any knowledge of God or understanding or desire of the knowledge of God, there's a God in heaven that's looking down on them saying, I love you. There's a God in heaven today that's going to put some Christians, some believers in the pathway of some sinners today one more time to tell them about the love of Christ. One more time to tell them how much Jesus wants to save them. That's how much God loves sinners. Nobody in their right mind can say that God doesn't love sinners after all that he's done and all that he's still doing to try to reach the masses of humanity that are unsaved. God loves sinners. So you see their direction, you see their departure. Elisha's going to go with them because even though they may not want him around, he wants them to be around. Then notice their doing in verse number 4. When you get to verse number 4, this is just a simple little verse, but it really sums up the, in a nutshell the mentality of a life of a sinner. In verse number 4, the Bible said, So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. Now I want you to see what's going on here. They, they left Gilgal. They said, it's too straight for us. It's too tight here. We don't, maybe we don't like the way it is. Maybe it's too crowded. We don't like bumping into God every time we turn around. So we're wanting to kind of get where we can stretch our legs out a little bit and do our own thing. So they make the six-mile journey from Gilgal downward, going down to Jericho. They get down to Jericho 
one of them says, man, this looks like a great place to live. Boy, this, I mean, there's trees everywhere. There were not a lot of trees in that land until you got down in the valley of Jericho. Then there was a lot of trees and a lot of vegetation. And one of them thought, man, this will be a good place for us to build. Oh, this is a pretty piece of property. Man, we can live down here. We don't have to live up there in Gilgal where it's so tight. We don't have to live up there where it's so strict, you know, and we don't have to listen to all that up there. We can get down here. We can do our own thing, boys. So what they do, they begin to start cutting trees down. They begin to just fly in. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of a lost man trying to build his own destiny in his life. Multitudes of people today, that's exactly what they're doing. They're living in this world that God created. They're breathing the air that God has furnished them. They have a heart beating in their chest that God created at the moment of conception, even though some of them didn't even believe they were a living child at that time. God brought them into the world, and they're, they're living for the world and the flesh and themselves, uh, and they're living in the world trying to do what they want to do without any concern of what God wants in their life. Boy, isn't that a picture of what these men are doing? They're just down there chopping trees down. They're thinking, boy, we're going to build us a nice place. One of them might have said, I don't know, one of them might have said, we'll have a better place than what they got up there at Gilgal. I'm telling you, we'll have, our, we'll have a little more freedom down here, boys. Hey, we're close to the Jordan. We'll get to do a little more fishing. We'll get to do a little more relaxing. Elisha won't be able to tell us this and tell us that. And I mean, we'll just get to have our own little place down here and have a good time. And they just flew in there. I, I could see them in my mind's eye. They're chopping trees down. They got a smile on their face. They're feeling good about their self. We're making our own way. I mean, we, we don't need the people in Gilgal. We don't need, we, who asked Elisha to come down anyway? Who's the, who's the knothead that asked Elisha to come down? The Bible tells us it was only one of them. And thank God he did. And they're going to be glad he did in a few verses, but somebody might have said that. Somebody might have said, why is Elisha down here? We came down here to get away from all that up there. Boy, it's just a picture of a sinner this morning. That's what sinners do. Don't, don't get upset when you invite your sinner friends or family to church and they tell you, no, I'm not interested. Don't get upset. That's their nature. They're being honest. When they don't come and they, you've begged them to come and begged them to come and they, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there, sure, I'll be there, and they don't come, don't get too angry at them because that's just their nature. That's what sinners do. I was traveling yesterday. I stopped and got some fuel and I, I went into a service station and there was a man in the service station. I could tell he was homeless and he was a very nice man, but I could just tell by his appearance and he had his bag with him and everything. He seemed to me as somebody that was homeless. So I came out of the restroom and he held the door open for me, very kind, and I went and got my stuff in the store. As I was coming out the store, he was sitting at the table there eating a bite. It was early yesterday morning. And the Lord impressed me just to talk to him real quick. And I went over to him and I talked to him just a little bit about how the day was. And I said, sir, I want to ask you a question. You don't know me. I don't know you. I said, but I want to ask you a question real quick. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And he looked at me and he said, of course I do. And he went right back to eating his food. And I said, well, I hope you have a good day. It's a beautiful day. I said, I'll see you later. I'll be praying for you. Now, I don't know that man's heart. I can't judge a man's heart. But I know if somebody asks me if I know the Lord is my Savior, I'm not going to respond that way. I'm going to say, yes, I do, and thank you for asking. I'm going to have a little joy. And, and again, I don't know the man's condition. He may have just been having a bad day. He might be saved. But quite often, sinners are like they are. We need to be reminded they're like they are because that's their nature. And, and that's why they're out here doing the things they do today because it's the nature of someone that's never been saved. 
So here's their doing in verse number 4. They're down here having a big time. They're dreaming about this, this school they're going to build, this house they're going to build, this place they're going to dwell. And I mean, it's just going to be a big time for them. They got all their plans and all their things that are happening for them. And, and they can't see nothing but sunshine and blue skies in the days to come. But now we get to verse number 5. When we get to verse number 5, I want you to notice in this verse now, we find a realization. Uh, reality is going to set in in verse number 5. Verse number 4 was not reality. Verse number 4 was what they were thinking life's going to be. And, and again, this is a great picture of sinners. How many sinners out there this morning, they're running the rat race of life. They got a good paying job, nothing wrong with that. They've got all the things the world says you're supposed to have to be successful. You know, a big house, a couple fine cars. What are the statistics? 2.5 children. I'm like one fella said, man, I'd hate to see that half a child. Amen. I don't know where they get that at. You'd think common sense would round it up to three or something. Maybe they don't want three. I don't know what it is. But uh, that's where sinners are at today. There are many of them today. They've got good money coming in. They've got nice vehicles. They don't have to work on much like you and I. They don't have to drive high mileage vehicles. And they just got everything that the heart could wish. That's what Asaph said in Psalm 73. He said, I looked out on the wicked. He said, they got everything a heart could desire. I mean, they, they got it all. Here I am struggling, fighting the good fight of faith. And, and they've, they've got everything that their hearts desire. Boy, you see that today, especially in our economy today, in our society I, I, listen, listen, I know things are bad, but listen, it's not that bad in America. I mean, I look around, the restaurants are full seven days a week. I, I can remember used to where you didn't go out to eat really till the weekend. That was a tree. Now people go out to eat every day. I mean, they're going to nice restaurants every day, and, and it's almost like vacation every day for a lot of people. And, and I, our world is so materialistic and so blessed as far as the material things. And a lot of times sinners think, well, if I've just got that, I'm a success in life. But the realization is without Christ, you're not a success. Without Christ, in the game of life, you're going to be a loser. That's what you're going to be. So here in verse number 5, realization sets in. Let's look at it just a moment. I want you to notice the failing now. The Bible said as one was failing a beam. Again, what he's doing here, he's cutting down these trees to, to build what he wants to build. This is an example, again, of a sinner living his life under his own power. If you go to the average lost person today that's successful in life, see that's why it's so hard. If you've ever if you've ever witnessed to people with things and money, wealthy people, or or either people you know that just live good in the middle class, you ever witness to them, they'll be some of the rudest people to you. They'll be some of the hardest people to talk to because they don't think they need anything. They got plenty of money, they got a nice house, they got the cars and all that stuff. A lot of times, that's why when you witness to the poor, they'll reach out because they realize they don't have the things of the world. They're looking for something anyway. That's why so many times Jesus was able to reach the poor sinners a lot easier than the wealthy ones. Matter of fact, he talks about the rich getting to heaven like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's very difficult a lot of times when people are in this world and they have all the things that a heart could wish, they don't see their need for Christ. We're getting ready to go to a state this next week and that part of the country out there, there's some tremendous people out there, hard-working, pioneer people, but with that spirit, a lot of them think they don't need Christ. 
With that spirit, a lot of them think, listen, man, I've, I've got this and my family's built this. And then we got people like that around here too. But a lot of times they don't think they need the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can see as they're this one and these people are felling these trees. They're dropping these trees. They're, they're getting ready to build this place they're going to live. I mean, they're putting their all into it. They're chopping. I mean, they're thinking about getting ahead. They're thinking about money in the bank. They're thinking about the nice house. They're thinking about all they're after in life. This is a picture of a sinner going after hog wild the things of this world and not thinking anything about God. But as they're felling these trees, I want you to notice here what I call the fall. Look at this in verse 5. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. You get the picture here? I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I've actually had this happen before. I had an old, I had an old go devil that the head came out of it one time. I was swinging it and the head uh, came out of it. I don't know why they call it a go devil, but I'll promise you this. You swing one long enough, you'll want the devil to get away from you. I'll promise you that. Amen. Thank God for hydraulic wood splitters in these days. But uh, if you ever had that happen before, it's kind of a discouraging thing. You're chopping wood, you're splitting wood, you're getting something done, and you rear back and psh, the head of that thing's gone. Now, all of a sudden, you're powerless. Like I told you before, a lot of times we'll preach this text to Christians about losing the edge in your life, you, losing the power. If anybody's ever had just the handle of an axe or something like that, it has a little bit of power to it, but really it loses a lot of power when you lose the head of the axe. And here you find this one, again, he's a picture of a lost person just living his life, just going after what the world has to offer. He's chopping trees down, and all of a sudden reality hits, I've lost the axe head. There's a fall that takes place. You know what this morning, what sinners don't realize today spiritually? They don't realize until the conviction of the Holy Ghost comes their way that their life, there was a fall one day in the garden through Adam and because of that they are living in a fallen nature. They have a fallen nature. Now they don't see that when they're lost until the Lord convicts them. You and I didn't see it until we got convicted. I remember the day in my life where I thought I was doing good. I had my life in order. I had my plans and my dreams. I had my ducks in a row, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came to where I was at and messed up all my plans. And I say, hallelujah, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he messed up my plans because my plans were not good compared to his plans. His plans were great. And he came to my life one day and revealed to me through the preaching of the word of God that I was a lost sinner. Now here's this man, he's trying to get at it. And all of a sudden, he rears back, the head of the axe flies off. And a realization sinks into him, I am powerless. I am helpless. I'm in a mess. My production has now ceased. There's no more trees that I'm going to be able to take down because I don't have an axe head anymore. I don't have the power anymore. I don't have the ability to go and do what I wanted to do within myself. And I'm going to tell you something today. It's a good day in the life of a sinner when that realization of the fall comes to them. It, if you're lost this morning, it'll be a good day in your life where the Holy Spirit takes the spotlight of the Word of God and shines on you and shows you your lost condition. That is a great day. I can, I can remember, I know not everybody can and you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to, but I can remember the church service I was in. I can remember the first time in my life as a 17-year-old young man that it dawned on me down deep in my heart that I was a lost sinner. 
I can remember that. It's special to me. It was an eye-opening experience through the Word of God and the fellowship around the people of God and me realizing I didn't have what they had and something was missing in my life. The Holy Spirit came to me and showed me one day, Son, you're missing the axe head. Son, you're powerless. You're lost. You're headed to hell. You have nothing within you to live the kind of life that you ought to be living. So there was a time when the fall came. This is a picture of a sinner spiritually. No power within himself to continue on. Then I want you to notice what happened right after he acknowledged the fall. There was a fear that came into his heart. Look at the last part of verse 5. He's cutting the trees down. The axe head flies off. And he said, alas, master. Notice the exclamation point in your Bible. For it was borrowed. What's he saying here? In western North Carolina vernacular, he's saying, I'm in a gum, I'm in a max, amen, I'm in a fix. I've lost my axe head. I'm powerless. He realizes now there's a fear that comes into him. We don't find in this scripture anywhere else up until now that he's fearing anything. He marches down from Gilgal to Jericho. He's ready to chart his own destiny, build his own life. He goes down there. He starts laying into the trees. We don't know which one of the sons of the prophets this was. He might have been the leader. I don't know. But he gets down there. I mean, he's dropping trees. He's thinking about all he's going to do. The axe head flies off. He looks around. He realizes he's powerless. And then he says, oh, my. Who's he call out to? Who's the first one he cries out to? The master he's talking about here is Elisha in his life. And that's what sinners do when they start getting right with God. They cry out to the God of heaven. They look up to heaven and say, God, my life's a mess. My life's going nowhere fast. I'm powerless, Lord. I'm in trouble. I need your help. It's a great day in the life of a sinner when they do that. I mean, it's a wonderful day. There's not as many sinners in this day doing that as there used to be. So when it happens, it's a glorious thing. When it happens, it's a wonderful thing. If you happen to be here lost this morning and the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart about getting saved, I'm telling you, you ought to be thankful that God's dealing with you. You ought to be thankful in this day of of technology and busyness and confusion and so much mixed up Christianity, quote unquote Christianity, mixed up church junk that's going on in this day. I mean, 50, 70 years ago, It really, 70 years ago, it really didn't matter what church you went to here in these mountains. You're going to hear enough of the gospel to get saved. It's not so anymore. Matter of fact, just going in a Baptist church don't guarantee you're going to hear the gospel anymore. That don't mean anything anymore, sadly. I'm telling you, we're living in a mixed up day when it comes to spiritual things and salvation. And Now with the internet, there's so many messages out there that are bombarding the minds of people that are lost. There's so much confusion and so much junk that's just overwhelming them. So if God's dealing with your heart and salvation, you are a blessed individual this morning. You're in a good place. Here he was, he cries out in fear. Thank God for fear when we realize we need some supernatural help in our life. Thank God for that fear. Uh, the songwriter John Newton tells us that in the, in the old hymn of Amazing Grace, the same grace that, that saved him was the same grace that brought that fear into his heart. It was grace that taught him to fear. Thank God for the grace of God that teaches us to fear our lost condition. There are multitudes of people this morning, they don't fear their lost condition. 
They're living high, wide, and mighty out there in the world. They're defying God and blaspheming God and living anyway. I mean, all this filth that's going on this month in our nation, I've tried not to mention it too much because I, I don't want to brag on their sin. I don't want to edify it anymore. Definitely wouldn't brag on it. But all that junk that's going on in our nation, just prideful and destructive behavior and some so-called churches are now on board and all these businesses are on board. And I'm telling you what it's all about. It's all about the dollar. They're, they're, a, they're a slave to the dollar. That's what it is. If they didn't care about the dollar, they'd stand up on their hind legs and say, this stuff is wicked and wrong. But all this that's going on in our nation, many, many sinners today don't realize and have any fear that they're going to face a holy God in judgment one of these days. If you happen to be lost this morning and God's stirring around in your heart, He's been putting some fear in your heart. You ought to be thankful this morning. You ought to respond to that fear. So we see the realization. Let's look on in our text this morning. The realization in, in verse 5 is he loses the axe head. It's a picture of a sinner that realizes he's lost. But then when you get to verse number 6, thank God there's a remedy here. Thank God somebody had enough sense to talk to Elisha and ask him to come down and be with them. The remedy is right here with them. Look in verse number 6. Notice the confrontation in verse 6. And the man of God said, where fell it? Now, you know who's talking here, don't you? This is the prophet Elisha. This, this is the man that the heathen king said he can see in my bedchamber, okay? So this is not your run-of-the-mill preacher here. This is the prophet Elisha. He knows some things. And he goes to this man that the axe head came off, and he said, tell me where it fell at. Where fell it? Now, did Elisha say that because he didn't know? I don't believe that. I believe Elisha knew exactly where it fell. I believe what he's wanting that man to do is to admit and confirm himself where it fell. And I'm telling you, if you're lost this morning and you realize you're lost, you're going to have to admit that you're lost. You're going to have to come to that place where when you're confronted with your lost condition, you're going to have to acknowledge that lost condition. See, being confronted is not enough. Sadly, there are many people that are going to spend eternity in hell that, that were definitely confronted with their lost condition. I believe everybody in hell is going to be, they, at one time, they've been confronted with their lost condition, but they didn't believe it. They didn't, they didn't act on it. They didn't move toward it. So here there's a confrontation. And through the gospel, sinners are confronted with their lost condition. So uh, that guy, he's chopping away, chopping away. He cries out, Master, alas, I've lost my, my axe head. It's borrowed. I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? And Elisha, a type of God, walks up and he said, Son, tell me where you lost it at. Show me where you lost it at. Boy, I'm telling you again, it's a good day when that sinner realizes I'm lost. I'm lost. I have nothing within myself that's going to please God enough to get me to heaven. I have no righteousness within myself that's going to get me into heaven or be able to, to, to deal with the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I'm casting myself on the mercy of a holy God. There's a confrontation here. Notice this, not only is there a confrontation, thank God that continues to a confession the man of God said, where fell it? Notice the next phrase. And he showed him the place. I can see this, this son of the prophet now. Boy, he went down there prideful. That's the way sinners are. Sinners are prideful. That's the nature of, of the flesh. He marched down there thinking, boy, we're going to build us a place we get down here. I'm going to have me a life that I couldn't have back up there at Gilgal. I'm going to have me a time down here. He, he gets into those trees. He's dropping those trees. He might have looked around. I don't know this. He might have looked around and he's two or three trees ahead of the other guys that's with him. 
And he's thinking, boy, look at me. I'm the stuff, amen. I've got the best axe. I'm the strongest man. I'm dropping these trees. Wow, wow, wow. The head of the axe falls out. He cries out to Elisha. Elisha said, where fell it? Now here's a different man when Elisha shows up. Here's a different man. I think he walks over to the edge of the water there, maybe real humbly. He don't have his head stuck up anymore. He don't have his nose in the air. He's got that axe handle maybe laying on the ground hiding it. He's ashamed that he don't have a head on his axe anymore. He walks over there and he probably said, right there, right there's where I lost it at. He's confessing that he needs help from somebody greater than him. And that's where most sinners miss it at this morning. They will not confess that they need God in their life. They will not confess that they need salvation. You know it. If you've talked to any sinners lately, just like that man yesterday, again, I don't know his heart, but I can tell a lot by how somebody talks and responds. And when I ask him, do you know the Lord? He said, of course I do. Basically what he said to me was, how dare you ask me whether I'm saved or not. I understand. I'm not mad at him. That don't, I didn't lose one minute's sleep over that. That's what sinners do. I would have responded probably the same way when I was lost as he did. Because we don't like to think about it. We don't like to be confronted with it. So here, this man is confronted with the loss of the axe head. But thank God he confesses it. Now, wouldn't it have been crazy if he was out there chopping away and the axe head fell off and he is like most sinners today and he looked around and said, well, you know, I don't have an axe head, but boy, I don't want nobody to know I don't have an axe head. I'm just going to keep on chopping. And he's beating on that tree with that, that, that axe handle with no head on it, that stick he's beating on that tree. And Elisha walks up and said, son, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's just beating on that tree. He said, I'm, I'm falling trees. You know, that's where a lot of sinners are at today. They act like they're getting somewhere in life, but they're not. They're just beating a dead tree. I mean, they're just making it hard on themselves. And God, the Holy Ghost, comes up and knocks on their heart and says, Are you not tired of this? And they look and say, Tired of what? I'm doing good. I'm, look, everybody else is doing good. Sadly, that's where a lot of sinners are at. This man was willing to confess his lack of power. He was willing to confess his need of a higher power to come into his life. Notice what this led to. This confession in his life led to a cutting in verse number 6. Look at this. The Bible said, and he cut down a stick. That's talking about Elisha. So now the man is helpless. He's standing at the brink of the Jordan River. His axe head is in the river. His handle is somewhere, worthless, not doing him any good. He's standing there, nothing else he can do. He looks to Elisha. Elisha said, where fell it? He said, right there's where I lost it. He's ashamed. He's standing there. He's confessed. He's went as far as he could go. He can't jump in the river and get it because he's going to drown and die. So Elisha now turns around and the Bible said he cuts a stick, which is basically just a smaller tree. What happens here is Elisha now is doing the work to recover the lost axe head. And what did he use to do the work? He used a tree. Does that remind you of anybody this morning? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we come to that place as a lost sinner and confess we're sinners and confess we need Christ because of what he did on the cross 2,000 plus years ago, he already cut the tree, amen. He already did the work. He already hung on the cross. He already shed his life's blood so that sinners could be saved. The work was done by God, not by man. Elisha here is a type of God. Remember, his name means God is my Savior. So in the cutting, this represents the work that Christ did on Calvary. Elisha didn't look at that man and say, Buddy, you're in trouble. You better jump in there and get that axe head out the best you can. He didn't look at that man and even say, go over there and cut yourself a, a limb, a stick, and throw it in there. He said, no, you just stand still. So you've confessed 
that you've lost your axe head. You've confessed that you're helpless. You've confessed you can go no further in this life. So if you'll stand still, I'll do the work for you. And I'm telling you this morning, if you're a sinner and you get to that place, you confess you can go no farther and you'll confess you need Christ as your Savior. He's done the work and he'll complete the work in your life instantaneously when you turn to him and confess your sin. I promise you he'll do that. Look at this. You see the cutting. You see the casting. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 6, And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. This again represents the work. Elisha, God did the work, not man. And the iron did swim, all right? Now, we're reading the Bible this morning, right? We all, we're Bible believers here. We're reading a 1611 King James Bible, the authorized word of God, okay? If I wasn't reading the Bible, if I was reading a book or a newspaper, I'd say, uh-uh, ain't no way that iron swam. Listen, I've dropped a lot of things in the water before, and I've never seen iron swim. I've dropped a lot of things in the water. I've never seen it float that's made out of iron or steel or anything like that. What does it do? It goes straight to the bottom as fast as it can go. So what's happening here? Because this man confessed his situation, because he cried out to a higher power, Elisha, which is a type of God in his life, now he's going to have a miracle in his life. Would you agree with me this morning? Salvation's a miracle, amen? Salvation's the most miraculous thing you've ever been a part of. Salvation is a miracle that God could take an old, dirty, rotten, low-down, hell-deserving sinner and by His grace and mercy save us through the work on the cross and justify us and put us in the family of God, justified not meaning just as if I, was, uh, I had not sinned, but going a little further just as if I was never even a sinner in the mind of God. That is a miracle this morning. That is the miraculous work of God in salvation. And here you find that Elisha does this. Now look at verse 7. I'll give you the last thing. We'll be done. I want you to notice the reception. Elisha does all the work. He cuts the stick. He casts the stick in the water. Through his obedience, God miraculously moves in and the iron swims. That means it comes to the top of the water. So now here's this man, this man that lost the axe head. He's standing by the water. He's done everything he could do. Elisha's done now everything he's supposed to do, which is a picture of Christ and him fulfilling everything he fulfilled on the cross and through redemption and everything that was done and complete. And when he dismissed his spirit on the cross, he said, it is finished. It, everything was done when Christ did what he did for salvation. And here's that man standing by the river Jordan. Now there's a time of reception. Look at two things here and I'll finish. Notice the command in verse 7. In verse number 7, Therefore said he, this is Elisha speaking to the man, Therefore said he, take it up to thee. Now I think this man's amazed. I would have been. If I'd have been standing there and cried out, I would have thought maybe Elisha was going to get some more of those guys and tie a rope to them and somebody's going to be brave enough to get off down in that river and fetch out that axe head and maybe drag them out. That, that would have been my thinking. That's not what happened. A, a miracle takes place. The, the iron, the axe head swims. It floats to the top of the water. It's right there within the guy's reach. And Elisha looks at him and he, he says, listen, he commands him. He said, take it up, take it up. Elisha says, I'm done. You've done all you can do. Now all you've got to do is receive it. Can I say to you this morning, if you're lost today, Christ has done all the work, all you've got to do is receive him. All you've got to do is believe and come to that place where you say yes. It's not a work to take salvation. Matter of fact, heard a fellow one time say uh, he heard a preacher on the radio. He said, I don't know about this receiving Christ business. 
He said, well, first thing I thought of was John, first John, or John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It's reception this morning. Christ has done the work. He's already went to Calvary. He's already shed his blood. The tree's already been cut down. It's already been cast into the water. Everything's been done. The iron's swimming this morning. All you got to do is say yes and reach out and take it and receive. There was a command for him to receive. Thank God there was a confidence. Look at the last of verse 7. And he put out his hand and took it. You know what that did for him? That restored his power. That restored what was lost in the fall of the axe head. And when a sinner gets saved today, it is a restoration of what is lost through the old man Adam. We're, we're lost this morning because of the old man Adam, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, because of the fall of the human race and, and sin coming into the human race. And we're born sinners and all down through the line, sinners beget sinners beget sinners. And we are in this world in a fallen nature before we get saved. And Christ went to Calvary, did all the work on Calvary. And all he's asking for that sinner to do this morning is receive him. All he's asking is for you to quit trying to build your own life. Quit trying to cut your own trees down. Quit trying to make it work for you. That, that, the cutting down of those trees to me is a picture of a religious person. It's amazing how religious people will work themselves to death to get absolutely nowhere. You study the life of some people in history that were religious but not saved. Man, I'm telling you, they'd jump through hoops. They'd crawl across beds of nails. They'd, they'd hang their bodies out in places of the, of the elements of freezing cold and extreme heat. And you read about some of those historic reports of those people that would go through all that kind of junk just to somehow or another get in the good favor of God. And it was all of no avail. You say, well, that's a crazy thing. Listen, there's people doing that right here in our county, right here in our world today. There's people that I run into people, you run into people, boy, they got the religious talk. And you can usually tell when somebody's piling it on heavy, you know. They're really talking it up religiously. Listen, you shouldn't have to talk up a religious talk. You ought to have a religious a salvation, if you will, walk. You shouldn't have to talk it up and try to... If you're trying to convince somebody you're saved by your talking, you're hiding something. You're covering something up. And we've all talked to people like that before. You go to church, oh yeah, yeah, blah, blah, you know, and they're doing all this big talking. They're really pouring it on, and you're thinking, man, I didn't ask all that. I just want to know if you're saved. They're really just getting way out there with it. That's what this man is a picture to me in here as, as he's doing all this work, and finally he comes to realization, I've lost my accent. I need somebody to step in my life and redeem it, and Elisha did. And I'm telling you this morning, if you'll come to that place in your life as a sinner, young or old, no doubt there's probably a young person here this morning. Genuinely, you need to be saved. There may be a middle-aged person here this morning. And genuinely, if you were true in your heart, you know you need to be saved. There may be an older person here this morning. And if you would be honest this morning, you know down in your heart you've never really been born again. You might be religious. You might have been cutting a lot of trees down in your life, trying to build it up and make it look like you are. But the fact is, you've lost your axe head. The fact is you have no power to live the Christian life because the liver, Christ, is not living in you. And you can't do that in your own power. We've all seen people do it. You might have done it yourself for a period of time before you got saved. Tried to live the Christian life without being saved. Man, that's miserable. That's miserable. There's no doubt this morning. I, I know this. I'm just going to go out and say that. I know there's some young people in this church. I love you is why I say this. You are miserable. You said, Preacher, when did, you, when did I tell you that? You don't have to tell me that. I can see it every time you come in the door. I can see it when the choir's singing. Some of you even singing in the choir. I can see it during the preaching. You're miserable. 
You hate being in church. You hate the things of God. It's because you don't have an axe head this morning. You need to get born again. I tell you that because I love you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm telling you, when you get saved, the joy of God will be in your heart. It doesn't mean you'll always be on the mountaintop and shouting and swinging from the chandeliers, but I'm telling you, when God saves you, it'll change your, your countenance. It'll change your life, amen. And there's some of you here this morning, I'm burdened over you because I can see through your countenance that you're probably not saved. You are miserable, and you know it. You know in your home, mom and daddy's trying to get you to do right, and it's a fuss, and it's a fight, and it's a struggle, and you don't want to do it. And, and I'm telling you, that's where sinners are at. If you'd get saved, your life would change. If you'd get saved, you'll love the things you used to hate. You'll hate the things you used to love. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for what Christ did to recover what we lost in the fall this morning. You have the message. Let's stand together. Sister, if you'll come get a song, heads bowed. I don't know anybody's heart this morning, but I have no doubt there's probably somebody here today that you need to get saved. You know you need to get saved. You know the Lord's dealt with your heart. This is not the first time He's dealt with your heart before. You know you're not saved. You may be going through the religious motions. You may have cut a lot of trees down, but you come to the reality you don't have an axe head this morning. You've come to reality you need a miraculous work of salvation in your life. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ loves you. And just like Elisha, even though those men were not really doing what they should have been, he went with them and he rescued them. And there's a Savior this morning that will rescue you if you'll call on him. While she plays today, if God spoke to you, would you come?